you would please turn in your uh, Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. That's on page 8 in the Black Pew Bible. And this passage comes after the flood and the Tower of Babel. And chapter 12 introduces Abraham with the call of Abraham. This is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And now we will turn to the New Testament reading, uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, on page 964 in the Black Pew Bibles. This is Paul's greetings to the Corinthians. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we pray that your ears would be attentive to our prayer now. Uh, we desire to hear your word. and We desire uh, for you to speak with us just as you spoke with Abraham, calling him to leave his father's house and the gods of his fathers and to walk before you. Help us uh, to hear you and to walk before you as he did. We thank you for the blessing, for blessing all of the earth through Abraham, through his offspring, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we are grafted into the olive tree that is your people. And now we pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of it, that your people would hear and that we would understand what you have for us this morning. And that we would live fruitful lives that accord with godliness. And so glorify your name and make your name great in all the world. Strengthen Pastor Jerry now as he brings your word. And bring us grace and peace from you, God, our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray all of this in the name of our Lord. Amen. Keep your Bibles open, if you would, to 2 Corinthians uh, as my hope and prayer in the next several months to take you on a journey through the book of 2 Corinthians. And I know for many of you, you've studied many books of the Bible, and Corinthians is a wonderful opportunity. I can't give you all the history of Corinth in one sermon. So if you'll be patient with me as we go through the text, I will slowly fill you in on the things that are happening throughout Corinth and why Paul is addressing them. Uh, similar, let me just tell you this, 2 Corinthians is a wonderful book if you're ready to be challenged in ministry. It's easy to be complacent in our day. 
As churches grow larger and larger, uh, many people love those, not just for the opportunity to serve, but it's a place to hide as well. Uh, ministry becomes an opportunity for some to serve. It also becomes an opportunity for many to set back and watch others serve. And Paul is writing Corinthians uh, another time uh, about reconciliation, but this time it's not reconciling with each other. It's Paul reconciling with those who are accusing him or discrediting him. And so if you could summarize 2 Corinthians, not just in the comfort of God, which many people would tell you, because we'll look at those, we could summarize it in the point of Christian service. It's not giving up when everybody else is against you. Each and every one of us have gone through circumstances. Each and every one of us have been through times in which we thought, wow, how will God ever use me again? Each of us find ourselves sometimes questioning our own good. Well, what if I was to speak about what it means to be faithful when I've been unfaithful? Why would anybody listen to me? And how could I speak to others about being wise stewards with their money when I myself have been in debt, struggled, and don't handle it well? And how in the world could I ever be an elder and lead the church in what it means to rule over a family when my own children have gone the ways of the world? Who would listen to me? It's not just those practical questions that we face every day. It's the questions of, is God going to use me? It's amazing that God would choose you from before the foundations of the world, not unlike what he said to Jeremiah, even before you were formed and fashioned in the womb of your mother. And catch this, and even before your mother was formed and fashioned in the womb of hers, and she was formed and fashioned in the womb of hers, the story goes on and on and back that every person wasn't by chance, but at just the particular time, in the right place, with the right person, God put it all in place so that you would be here today. That's God's doing. God does have a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you to unfold and be a part of. And there's a ministry that he wants you to be useful in. And so I'm going to take you on a journey through the book, and we'll go through different things that Paul talks about. And I can't give it all to you today, but we're dealing with those who Paul has already reached out to in 1 Corinthians we learn about. And others have come along, whether you want to call them some of the Judaizers, some of the philosophers, some of the wisdom of the world there in Corinth. It was a major center, not much unlike what we are today, and we'll see that. They're now challenging Paul's true apostolicity. How could Paul be an apostle? He came here, he told you about Christ, he told you about all these things that were in his life, and he claimed to be one who was called by God, but he never saw Jesus Christ. He did not walk with him. He claimed an apostleship that was somehow different from all the others. You know the story. If you don't, you could go to Acts chapter 9 and read it. Just don't do that right now. And you could learn all about the story of how the apostle Paul was struck on the road to Damascus and his apostleship, his calling, and the validity of his ministry was now none, not unlike at all that of Abraham in which he found himself serving in one way, and God takes his life, changes it, works a miracle, and says, now I want you to go a different direction, and I want you to be useful for me. And how do we know that change takes place? Is because there on the road to Damascus, we find that when Paul is struck down, his name is Saul at the time, he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. 
Why is it that sometimes we think that our disobedience, our unwillingness to serve, is something that's not affecting Christ at all? When all along we realize everything we do is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your usefulness, let me clarify, not your relationship with Christ. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Your usefulness to God is not based on your talents and your abilities. What I want to talk to you about is your usefulness in ministry. God's already equipped you. He's already given you the Holy Spirit. He's already laid before you the foundations of all that he's going to ask you. And he's filled you with the Spirit to do it. He surrounded you with a body of people, the body of Christ, to enable you with the gifts you're going to need. Whether or not you're doing the ministry is what I want to talk about. And so as Phil read here in 2 Corinthians, the first verses, let me take us through a text for just a moment on why our society needs Christians who are useful in ministry. Here's what he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm sure in your outline uh, you'll have one there. I was teasing Nick the last couple weeks that I've been here. I get the first print of the bulletin. So if you didn't know that, I would sit next to my wife the last several weeks, and each time she opened the bulletin, it had this wonderful outline of the sermon. And mine had this blank page. And so whether you have a blank page or a few words there, I'm going to take you on a journey of how Christ himself came to a point of understanding what it is to have humble service, a costly service, and a sacrificial service. Laid before you this morning here on the table is the focus of Christ. I appreciate the deacons and ushers helping with this. It is always my prayer that the focus of every service is the centerpiece of Jesus Christ. If what we have to say can be summarized, it should be able to be summarized in the ministry and the giving of the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ. So as I journey you through this, listen to what Paul says. I'm an apostle and I've been chosen by the will of Christ or selected. As I take you through the journey, there's something I want you to keep in mind. He's chosen you at this point in this time to serve in this culture, so quit complaining. There's a lot of times we get together and say, man, the best days are over. I'll be honest, uh, JR used to tell me, he was late 80s, he said, Jerry, I'm really ready to die. I said, JR, I know you want to be with Carol. And he said, no, the truth of it is, I don't think the days are going to get any better Times are only going to get worse. Well, folks, I can only tell you this. Whether they're only going to get worse or better, this is the only time you have. And the only journey that you and I have together that I can promise you this morning is that each and every day you and I have one thing in common. One thing. We're one step closer to the day the Lord calls us home. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know when your day will be, but we're both closer. And what you do with that time is what I want to speak to you about. We live in a culture that needs help. It's not unlike Ezekiel 16. I won't read it to you today, but it goes back and talks about the corruptness of society back in Ezekiel's day. You could read the entire book of Hosea and learn all about unfaithfulness. Well, folks, in our culture today, we're surrounded around pluralism, the belief of whatever you want it to be. We're surrounded around all kinds of wisdoms of this world where people are coming up with answers to solve their problems in any one of many kinds. We're dealing with a world that looks at Christians and says, why do I need Christ? What do you have that makes my life any different? 
I look into the church. I had a chance this past week, uh, not to bore you with all kinds of stories, but I went to buy a vacuum. I bought the church one too while I was at it, and I'm a sucker. Uh, But I had a chance to witness to an entire office. Uh, Guys from Jamaica, one of them promised he would come to visit us. In buying a vacuum, I had a chance to learn about the world. And he asked me one question. He said, the problem I have with church is that too many people in the church are hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? And so I thought to myself, so you're calling me a hypocrite? He goes, no, 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 I'm not calling you one. And I said, the church is full of sinners. That's true. Folks, we are sinners. We're in need of grace. But the outside world looks at us and says, what do you have that I need? Because we've succumbed to the culture that has now said we will change the truth to meet the culture. Now let me give you a word for that. Put it in your mind. Write it in your Bibles wherever you want. That's uselessness in ministry. If you want to be useful, we've got to start changing the culture to meet the truth. And that's what Paul did. Paul confronted these people. He brought them to Christ. He stood before them. And now he's being challenged by the same people who want to change the truth so that culture fits. I don't know what you've compromised so far just this week. But it's very easy when people start asking you questions about the church and about Christ and about your family to kind of tone things down. I don't want to talk all about Christ because then they won't want to come. I don't want to tell them that we stand on certain truths. I remember a story that was shared. You'll probably know it. I won't pick on people, but one of the largest ministries in our country is built on a ministry that when they asked, how is it that you've drawn so many people to your ministry His response put in writing was this, I don't like to preach about sin, I don't want to preach about doctrine, and I don't want to preach about diversity. People don't want a sappy gospel, they want to be happy. Well folks, if that's what you want grace to be, then hey, maybe we could get the whole world to come. The truth of it is, I could stand up here, turn around, breathe fire out my face, do a little tamp dance, talk about football. I could go down the realms of whatever you want in a relationship, but then culture would win and we would be useless. So I want to challenge you this morning. Go with me. Let me take you on the text here. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Apostello is the word for one who is sent. It is a mission, it is one who is called by God. It's the same text that he's written to all of his epistles. They vary very little bit whether he's writing the Philippians, the Galatians, where he wrote to Colossians. It's this understanding of a greeting that brings all of who Paul is into the light of why it is we want to be useful in ministry. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, I won't go into a story again. We'll do it a little as we go along. But folks, what we have here is that Paul is now saying to you, this wasn't the direction that I was really on and what I wanted to do. This is God's will. And maybe you're here this morning finding the same thing as I didn't really plan on living in this place, in this home for this long. I didn't plan on this job for this many years, the way it's turned out. It wasn't really the way I thought my future would be, but this is exactly where God wants me. And Paul is writing, and I'll give you the three things as we go along. You can use your own words. You can probably outline it better than I can. But if you want to be useful in ministry, it comes down to what Paul says here. First and foremost, you have to have a calling. You have to know that you're in a right relationship with God and that he is the one who is asking you and sending you to do the work that you've been called to do. 
You don't have to be an apostle in order to serve God. You're here this morning, and I can actually tell you, in just a few weeks that I've been here, I've made a list of about 150 committees that we could use. And each one of you get a head one up. That's how that works. No, the truth of it is, we may not need them all, but my mind has been racing about all the things that we accomplished. I've enjoyed getting to meet you as you've come by. I've uh, had a chance to reach out. We've put one new bookshelf in the library. That's my contribution for the last two weeks that I've been here. But it gave me a chance to talk to someone about helping us in the library again. We got a chance to do the Saturday morning ministry. Got a chance for me to talk to some people and to invite one who says they're coming to be a part and wanted to help in that ministry. It's given me an opportunity to see that there is ministry out there and people want to be used. People want to be useful. But if you're not sure God's calling you to do it, you're going to struggle. Don't just serve to serve. I think I've shared this many times with people over the years, especially in college classes as you're preparing people. So many times we get so, so interested in getting people busy that we never see them get blessed. Our job is not to just get out there and do. Our job is to do what it is God's called you to do. The Apostle Paul was sent as an apostle to the Gentile world. He's reminding the people that, hey, listen, my validity comes from Christ My calling was because God struck me down on the road to Damascus. He's the one that reminded me that I needed heart surgery, that everything I intended to be in life was completely rearranged. It's a miraculous part of regeneration when God somehow reaches down in, grabs your heart, pulls it out, does what needs to be done. I think Mike Moriarty would call that bypass is what he told me that was. Seven times the Lord needed to knock on your heart. The truth of it is he somehow pulls it out, performs this miracle, puts it back in. And what you don't realize is you kind of wake up like Paul the next day and say, you know what? I really wish my life was different. I really wish I had more to do. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of finding answers in this side. I really just want to serve Christ. That wasn't because of your great works. It wasn't because you just woke up and decided to be a good person. It's because God's touched your life. And the way to do that and respond is this. He's called you. He's called me to be a minister, a trash man. I don't know why. I could go back to generations. Not one of them went to college. I don't know why to go on and get a doctorate. I can't go back and explain to you why my life has been what it's been. But I can tell you, he took a trash man who grew up hauling trash, grew up in a trash life. And he simply said, I want you. Out of a family of four and a half-brother that came along, he chose just one. And he said, I'm calling you. And I want you to speak for me. Well, that's no different than when he grabbed my sister's life and said, I'm calling you to be a farmer's wife. I'm calling you to be a, a lab tech. And I want you to run a hospital. It's no different than when he calls you and says, I want you to be a homemaker. I want you to be with family. I'm calling you to serve in this area. You see, the culture that we live in is the culture that God's called you, and you can't change that. You have to be equipped to meet the people right where you are. God's got a ministry for you, and you can be useful if you realize you are where you are, as philosophical as that sounds, because God's got a purpose for you. Paul is reminding the readers, look, by the will of God, it was me struck down. Look at Timothy and our brother. We're working together. It's the church of God that is at Corinth. I'm writing to you from us. Your most important aspect to be useful in ministry is to know you're doing what God's called and equipped you to do. If you're not gifted to do it, stop. 
just give me some more time before you do. (laughs) Because the truth of it is, we have so many people who are just busy, and we call it burnout. Because you're getting up, you're doing the same thing over and over. It's just the way it's been. It's the way we've always done it. If we don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And sometimes we have to stop and think, Lord, but is this what you called me to do? That's when you're going to stand on the truth. That's when you're going to stand up against the people who say, well, I just don't like the way you do it. I don't like the way that you speak about those things. I just don't think you handle those things correctly. It's going to come. The devil's going to rear his head. We've told every person in family, the moment that you respond to Christ's call, the devil's going to rise back up and challenge you more than ever before. Because as long as you're willing to be a useless non-servant in the church of God, Satan's going to leave you alone. And you're going to have a peaceful life. You're not going to have any problems. You're going to have plenty of time on your hand, and you're going to enjoy vacation. The sad part of it is when God gets a hold of your heart, and you realize that he's calling you to do something, It doesn't matter, even on vacation, you find somewhere to serve because you realize you have a purpose and there's a purpose for your life. There's meaning to serve. And I want you to see this journey as we go through 2 Corinthians. But it's not only that. Listen, it's Timothy, our brother. He's not the apostle. He's not saying that all of us are apostles. He's saying all of us are serving Christ together. Paul can stand up and know that he's useful in ministry against all the attacks from the other, even apostles at times, that challenged him because they had a closer relationship to Christ. But he reminds them, but I have a calling. I have a purpose, and God has sent me. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints. I want you to catch this right now. There's a word here that we'll come across in in verse 2 here in a moment, that's very close to the word grace. It's the word for joy, karine, charis is the word for grace. If you wanted a a good Greek lesson, you'll see that peace comes from arene. It's the outgrowth of what happens when you experience grace, and I'll share that with you. But right now, listen to this part. It's the second part I want you to see. Well, if I'm going to have usefulness in ministry, first of all, Paul's reminding them he is an apostle, and it's the will of God that empowers him. I am called by God to do this. Second of all, if you're keeping up with it, it's the connectionalism. I use that word only because our denomination. Listen to what he says. I'm here with Timothy, our brother, and I'm writing to Corinth and all the saints that are out there. This isn't something personal. Paul was not called to do something where he could be an individual by himself. I hate to tell you this, but when you're placed in the body of Christ, you're part of the what? The body. I hate when my leg takes off and goes its own direction. It hurts. And I don't like it when my fingers want to do things that my mind doesn't want it to do. Coordination is a wonderful thing. But Paul even reminds us throughout Romans and Corinthians that the body suffers when individual members Try to function without the body. You're here this morning and you've got a purpose and a calling and a ministry, but it's not detached from everybody else. We find our connectionalism even in our denomination. Do you realize that our church is only one spot in Maryland? It's only one spot in the Northeast. It's only one spot on this half of the Mississippi or this side of the Mississippi River. Our connectionalism means that every church that has the common likeness of Jesus Christ works together for a purpose and a common glory. We've got to be willing to work together. Paul's writing to the saints, those who are set apart. It's the word for holy that we get. It's the word that's set apart because you have a purpose. You've been sanctified. 
Do you see, when you begin to be a servant of Christ and you begin to serve him, you are now a saint. You've been touched by his life. You've been changed. You're holy. Do you realize that? You're set apart. If we were to go back to Abraham when he was first called from the land of the Chaldeans, we could call that modern-day Hinduism, if you wish. It's the kind of the Chaldeans in which there is 330 million gods in which you could choose to serve and be a part of. And when Abraham's life was touched, he was called to go to a place, and he promised that he would be a blessing to others, and that anybody that he couldn't bless and that would curse him, he would be cursed. There was this connectionalism in this relationship with Christ and even to God back in the Old Testament. The relationship you have with Christ connects you to everybody else. If you were to look at just the organization of the Presbyterian church, you could say that we have some who are elders, some who are deacons, some who lead committees, and some who serve within those, and not one of them is more important than the other. You know, I know in my own ministry, I've never served with an elder that has stood beside me one day and said, you know, pastor, it's so nice to know that we're so much better than our people. It's so nice to be elected an elder and to serve because we're elevated above everybody else. It's nice to know that you sit on top of the world. No, I've never even met a deacon that's come to me and said, you know, pastor, I know that God's called me to be a deacon. And it's, so much, it's, it's so nice to know that he's called me instead of the others. What you usually find is the same thing as when you have that publican tax collector and sinner at the altar of God and one looks up and says, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Just to hear the sinner say, God, be merciful to me. If you were to look at the Greek there, that actually says this, God, be mercy seated to me. Do you know what the mercy seat is? It's that covering over the Ark of the Covenant where the sacrifice would be played or, or placed. It's where God would look down and the winged creatures and the seraphim would be guarding this place. And God would look down from heaven and he would see the sacrifice, sacrifice that would be placed on top. Where when it was given and the offering that was given, the blood would run down. Do you see what he was really saying is, God, be mercy seated to me. Don't look down from heaven and see me. Look down and see the sacrifice that covers me. Look down and see the blood that has been shed upon me. Look down and see all this that your son has done for me because that's the only way I'll ever have purpose, meaning, and be useful in ministry. We're connected. Paul's connected. It's to the whole church there in Achaia. He simply says this, all of us who are working together must realize that God has called us for a purpose. We work together because God's called us, and we work together because we're connected. We're connectional. If you're here this morning and you're trying to find out why it is you're so lonely in your service, maybe it's because you're all alone. Maybe you're pushing everybody else away. Maybe the truth of it is you're afraid to get involved because other people are going to love you. Anybody here not like to be loved? Isn't that amazing? But isn't it hard to be loved? Sometimes the hardest thing is to look to the one you actually love the most and say, thanks for needing me. Thanks for needing me. Thanks for letting me know I have a purpose. Thanks for letting me know that someone really cares. 
we would do marriage conferences and counselings, and we would tell the people all the time at M&A, Missions to North America. The speaker would always take us on our accountability, and he would simply say this, and I've shared this before. Husbands, when you go to bed tonight, look to the one you love the most and simply turn over and ask them this question. Wife, how have I helped you become what God wants you to be? Isn't that amazing? And then wives, ask your husband. It's not hard for you. Because we've lived in a culture that has conformed the truths. And women, you are a right-hand rest for whatever we need, whenever we need it, and however it's needed. And oh, how that distorts the truth. Men, you are a reflection of the glory of God, and your wives are a reflection of you. If you want to remember, I have shared it before when the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes shared as he transformed his life together when he realized he was out there in the middle of a congregation when someone said, men, turn and look at your wives and see the glory of Christ on their face. Because what you see on the face of your wife is the reflection of of what you're doing for God's glory. Wow. You want to be useful in ministry? Reflect the glory of Christ. You have a purpose. You have a calling. And we're connected together. I need you. Believe that or not. There may be days that I'll come here and my mind is racing and I'm off on a tangent. My mind's thinking on something else. Tap me on the shoulder, Pastor Jerry. Hey, I'm right here. You know, do this to me. Get me in tune. It's not because I don't care about you. I need you. I want you to need me. But listen to what he says. Not only are we have a calling and not only are we connected together, but listen to what this one symbol says. It's, it happens every time that Paul writes a letter. He lets people know this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We only get it through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, when they send it, when he goes back to the Father. But grace to you. This is that one word that in just two little letters changes it from grace, from joy. The same word, charis, for joy, or karine, grace, the spiritual connotation is right there. Because what happens is grace has an outgrowth to it. You know you're not saved by grace. You're saved by what? It's a challenge. What are you saved by? By what? Faith. Grace is the channel and the means in which you get this faith. Grace is the channel and the means by which God continues to work in your life. It's the faith that saves you, and it's a gift from God. We are saved by faith. It is a gift from God. This grace that he's talking about is the work of God or the means that God has given to give you peace. Do you see, here's the biggest thing about being useful in ministry. Not only do you have a calling and not only connected together, but folks, you've got to have a change in your condition. There has to be peace. And peace only comes when you lack the enmity that you had with God. When sin has been overcome and you realize you can stand in the presence of the Almighty God and come and ask at the throne of grace because you have been invited by God himself. When Christ died on the cross, if you remember, and he spoke out his words, one of the greatest events of all was not that the graves rumbled and tore and shook and graves were lifted up above and it wasn't because people were proven wrong. It wasn't even the issues that took place. I love the part that the whole skies turned dark. I can't imagine when God just simply said, 
turn the lights back on. It's amazing, God, what he can do. But what was really amazing is that the curtain in the temple did what? God just simply said, you know what? It's time for us to have peace. Man, if you're going to be useful in ministry, you've got to be at peace. Whatever the sin is, whatever the circumstance you've been through, whatever the situation is that you're facing, Satan will use it against you and you will never be useful because every time you step up, Satan's going to say this. Oh, yeah, but don't you remember the time you said this? Oh, they're not going to forget it. And what makes you think that you're any better than anybody else? You failed as much as I have. Oh, I remember the time my brother looked at me. We were discussing different ends of the world because he, to this day, doesn't serve Christ and pray for him regularly. He's a wonderful guy. Over the years, I realized just how much he loves. But I remember standing in the bowling alley. It's where my, we grew up. It's part of the time my father was a professional bowler and traveled from places to places. And we grew up in this, what used to be called a smoky atmosphere with all kinds of stuff. I remember asking my brother, Jay, are you ever going to change? And he said, Jerry, you just don't understand. We come from different parts of the world. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, what a change of condition we need. It wasn't the term I thought of. And I thought to myself, Jay, do we really come from different worlds, different parts of this world? Or do we all come from the same? It's just one has peace and one doesn't. You see, you'll feel like you're in a whole different world if you're still fighting with God. If your conscience has not been cleansed, you're not ready to serve. Satan will tell you this. It is from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we get irene. It's the Greek word peace. It's that lack of hostility and enmity with God. Romans even tells us when Paul writes Romans, therefore, my beloved you are at peace with God. And God demonstrates that love for us and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Do you see, when we start thinking about all of this, I wanted to bring it together for you to see. Jeremiah writes it in the New Covenant when he simply tells us that God chooses to be our God and he chooses us to be his people. There's nothing keeping you from ministering. There's nothing keeping you from being useful in ministry unless you realize It's something God hasn't called you to do. You don't want to be connected to anybody else. And your condition has still not changed. You're still living at enmity. And you're mad at God. Until those things change, you're not going to be useful in ministry. And so I challenge you in many different things. Once again, how do I know if I'm useless or useful? Let me remind you, to be useless is when you're conforming the truths to the culture. If you want to be useful, you're conforming the culture to the truths. And how do I see this in the picture of Christ? Oh, it's in my custom and tradition to constantly use the Lord's Supper as a picture of how it is that we can feed upon him. Does it tie together in my Christ, one who is humbly a servant, one who realized that he too was sent by God? It wasn't just the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just you and I. But there was one, our Lord and Savior, who was sent by God, who willingly accepted the calling and left the portals of heaven and took on the form of flesh and come to dwell amongst us. He is one who knows what it means to be sent, apostello, to be sent out. 
from the heavenly place. We also know one who understands connectionalism. Let's just not say we work together, but is it not when he said, I have sheep that I call to myself. I have come to a world and I have become that which was not mine to make it mine. And let me talk about peace, a challenge. You might say, well, yeah, well, how is Christ never at peace? I remind you the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not always sin that causes a lack of peace. I remember when Jesus' words were simply this. Before he would go to the cross, he would pray for you and I. Lord, I ask not that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he said, Lord, not my will, but what? Thine. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. So whatever it is, find God's calling. Know that we're connected together in this. And man, with a changed condition of peace, we can all be useful in ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, that you would choose us, that you would choose to be our God, and you would choose us to be your people. Father, we realize that it is through grace. It's through the channels that you have chosen so that we don't claim our own talents and abilities is what's worth all that we're accomplishing, but that we rely upon your grace. Father, I pray for each of us here as we respond to this, as we prepare our hearts, Lord, to commune with you, that you would touch and change us, change our condition so that we can be at peace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.